One of the great challenges of pursuing a career in filmmaking or just creating video content in general is that the tools are constantly evolving and there's a constant need for more education and access to more tools. The problem is that it's expensive, both in time and money. That is why we at No Film School are extremely excited about something called the five-day deal. The five-day deal offers a video creator's bundle that has over $2,000 worth of courses, assets, and tools for only $98, and it only lasts five days. It does sound too good to be true, but listen, even if there's only one course in there that ends up being of value to you, it's still worth the price of $98. We're excited about it, not just because it's such a great value play, but also because 10% of every purchase of the five-day deal goes to legitimate charities that are helping people in need of all kinds across all of the world. So for us, it's a win-win. We truly believe in their mission statement. And we also think it's a great way for you to have an added library of courses, tools, assets, etc., available to you forever. Because once you download it, it's yours. So how do you get this great thing? Head over to nofilmschool.com forward slash five-day deal 2022. That's nofilmschool.com forward slash five-day deal 2022. And all the information is listed on that page. We are all familiar with the challenges of independent filmmaking. It's an extremely high-stress environment. Well, filmmaking is in general. But today, my guest, Molly Elfman, joins me, George Edelman, host of the No Film School podcast and editor-in-chief at No Film School, to talk about making her independent feature, which is featured at Tribeca, opening on June 10th, which is coming this week. And it hopefully will be available on streaming services and all kinds of places to all of you soon. But we're talking to Molly mainly about her approach to shooting an indie during the pandemic and maintaining what seems like an extremely positive and comfortable vibe on set. So everybody actually worked regular hours. She didn't do overtime. She has experience as a producer and a crew member. She talks about everybody from the PAs to the prop department, to the costumes, to how everybody pitched in and did their part, but nobody was overworked. This is kind of a crazy idea but something we're really supportive of and looking to see more happen across all aspects of the industry where people are able to get their job done, do the thing they believe in, execute their vision, but also have a normal life and not lose their minds. That sounds pretty good, right? Let's hear Molly talk. About it. So thanks so much for doing this. I'm uh, really excited and looking right. forward to chat with you. Congratulations on the film and on Tribeca. And I guess, you know, the first thing I wanted to know is just this, this is sort of a, a personal film, an indie film. What brought it together for you? How did you get it off the ground and into production? Off the ground and into production. Um, I mean, there had been about eight years of work before that stage actually happened. And of course, the irony being that when it finally did get off the ground happened to be January 2021 amidst like the 
Wow. It's crazy. <laughs> there was so much going on at that time that just added up to so much stress. But that was the time that that was the window that we got. That was when uh, a little bit before that I had found Helm Street, who's my executive producers. And uh, and and that was when we were going to do it. And it seemed crazy. But at the same time, we didn't know when the crazy was going to end. In fact, one could argue that it still hasn't. Um, right. So we just kind of went for it. I mean, it's, it was a, it was a wild and crazy process getting it to that point. I can definitely say that. So the scripting, let's go back then further in time to just like, you know, inspiration and starting to write it and thinking I'm going to, you know, was your mindset, I'm going to direct this, this, I'm writing this. No. Okay. (laughs) So take me through that. (laughs) No, I think I started writing this, uh, uh, nearly a decade ago and it was, it came out of me having a, you know, dealing with some dark stuff in my life, dealing with a divorce. And every single time that I would have something in my life that would kind of knock me back or uh, that I just couldn't really find my way through, I found myself coming back to this script. This script really, uh, it kind of ended up being my light in the tunnel. So every single time I, I picked it up when I had a death in the family, I picked it up again at the top of COVID. And it just seemed so relevant to me then because, you know, in this world, you take one thing and you shift the perspective on it and you see this ripple effect of how it affects everyone. And it was a similar story of what we were kind of going through with COVID. So I didn't want to make a COVID film, but I did want to make something that spoke to the truth of what I was feeling at the start of COVID. And and so I went back into this script and I made some adjustments and I, I, made it a little bit more relevant and timely to me. And, and then off we went from there. And so it felt like the right time finally came for it. Like after those 10 years of kind of development and working through stuff in it and well, all that time, uh, you were like, one yeah. day I might make this movie or was it just therapeutic? There was <laughs> for supposed a while to be, there? I mean, yes, it was. I mean, originally there was, I, I had gone out to other directors, the directors fell away. Uh, it was a very different script at that time, a very different, like, people, a very different group of people that were involved in it. And so it wasn't that I wasn't trying. It's just that it wasn't really working. And I, I tend to think that that's because it wasn't really time yet. And looking back at it, you know, you, as an indie filmmaker, you always are trying to go, but sometimes it, it doesn't go until it's ready. So I, in that, in that time, started to direct myself and I directed a few shorts and I started to get a little bit more confident. And as kind of everybody else fell away, and this project became more and more relevant to me, I started to kind of craft it into something that really spoke to what I wanted to say as a director and things that I knew were really my strengths and playing to that. And so then I started to craft it for myself a little bit more. And then it just became pretty easy to see how to make it and and what to do because, because of my producing background and because of understanding how to make an indie production run, I think most of the time, if the director would have come to a group of producers and said, I want to do this, they would have said, you're insane. <laughs> and they still did. Um, so, But I said, look, I'm insane. And also, here's how you can schedule this. Here's how you can do this. These are the resources. And so I came with a whole bundle of like, this is how you can do that. And they looked at it and they're like, it's crazy, but actually it is doable. And oddly, in the middle of a pandemic, before vaccines and before we really had a real like grasp on how to handle this, potting was one of the best things that we could do. So, you know, the pod of under 20 of us on the road making this and oddly kind of created this wonderful little bubble where when everything was kind of burning around us, we had this wonderful experience together. It was a film crew pod. That's uh, that's one way to do it, I guess. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I'm curious because you talked about producing background. Mm-hmm. The mindset of a producer is so different on set, for example, than from a director, from mm-hmm. a writer. But you did the triple threat, which is just so hard for people to do. But a lot of people think it's hard to do, but it can be necessary. You explained it in a way that like the different things kind of made it possible, the skill sets. But there's a nuance there in just like, I know from experience too, if you have the producer mindset, it gets in the way sometimes of what the director wants or what the writer wrote or what. So how did you balance and trade off? Like you made a plan as a producer, but then you like set that aside. You're like, now I'm a director. I think I started more as a producer on it because, you know, when I was writing, I was just writing and that there's kind of a freedom to that. And I didn't really have any deadlines on any of that. Then I kind of put on my producing hat from there. I got to meet Helm Street, which ended up being our investors. I brought on Derek Pichet and Marine Hakopian, who ended up being my producers. And I was able to kind of, I ended up being able to find most of my department heads. And I ended, I knew how to kind of like build this schedule out. So a lot of it happened in prep and me getting it ready. Once we actually started like hardcore prep about, and by the way, it was only about three weeks. But once we actually started that, I just immediately took that hat off. And I, I, know, I knew enough to know that if I left that hat on, I was actually doing a disservice to myself and everybody else, including my producers. Right. And so I just dropped it entirely. And it's hard because there are some times where that would be the stronger muscle. And I would see myself wanting to do that. And I think if I would have made this years ago when I was younger, I would have been inclined to jump in and try to solve those problems. But instead, you know, I would see some, an email come in and I'm like, that's a producer problem. I'm going to go back to shot listing. And I just, I, I just had to drop it completely and entirely. So for the run of the shoot, I don't think that I produced anything on the day. And I leaned very heavily on Derek, who was my right hand throughout the shoot. And I trusted him completely and totally to get the job done. We also had an amazing production team with uh, Lena and Drew who were, and we had our PA, she does, she's the most amazing PA ever on a film set like this. Being a PA is like one of the worst gigs in the world. And she was amazing. (laughs) That was Kat. I just have to like hats off to her. I just felt so bad for her. She did so many jobs. I love that you're that, you know, it's I, I'm this might be a first on this podcast where somebody has called out the help or the work of a PA individually and by name. I love that. And I want to, you know, highlight it because that's you're absolutely right on a smaller project. That's like your backbone in so many cases. And it's so uh, hard. I mean, 100 percent. I mean, every when you have a team that small, every single person is holding up the entire film. Uh, it, you all, you know, and everybody is supporting one another. I'll never forget one day when we got to a new location and all of a sudden I see our costume designer painting a wall for a production designer who's desperately behind. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, eh, I just felt like painting. And I was like, <laughs> this is amazing. So it was very much a collaborative experience. And, uh, you know, I started as a PA and I have a great deal of respect for PAs. Uh, productions do not run without them full stop everybody yeah. else is important but without that your your feet are going to fall out from underneath you so i yeah but but you know like i said i had an amazing crew we we made it through this tough time i think also the other thing is is with having the producer background I think it's imperative for the director to try to get everything and to aim for the sky and to go for all of those things 
But when I was told no in a reasonable way or for a good explanation, I just dropped it immediately. I didn't hang on to it. I think so. I was going to ask that next because you said I would see, you'd see an email and you would say, nope, that's a producer problem. But what I was going to ask was, but then there's the other thing where directors are often in a position where they're a little adversarial with the producer's limitations or needs because it's like, yeah, but I really need this, you know, and sometimes that dynamic is is harsh or difficult, but but positive, but it sounds like you're, you're answering it already and saying, no, I was very receptive to whatever they, they told me was the limit. Um, I don't, yeah. I also, the way that I work is not one of, I, I don't like to be combative. Everybody, the only reason, especially on a film this size, why anybody is there is because they want to make the film. I think for some reason there can be this natural combative nature between a director and a producer. But when I'm producing, I don't like to bring that to my director. I will, I will give my director everything that I have and that's all. And so when I hit a limit, there's nothing else to give. And I think that they know that when they work with me and they can see that. And I, I knew that in, in Derek, by the way, when he was, when he was on set, that if he said no to me, it was a real no. He was doing everything that he could to make my wildest dreams happen. But if he's like, no, you cannot have that. I was like, it's not possible. And the combative nature won't be constructive for either one of us. So let's immediately shift to, okay, well then what can I do? What, where can I, I get that extra shot? How can I do this? Can I, can I, if I get rid of this scene, can I have that scene? And I think it just seems way more productive that way. Right. (laughs) When every single second counts, being combative in those moments, isn't going to save you anything coming up with a solution that you can immediately pivot to buys you time. And so I'm always very solution oriented, or at least I definitely try to be. And, and again, that comes from having a team that, you know, has your back. I, I, I never questioned, I could see everybody was doing absolutely everything that they could. So if they said no, uh, I also, I have a big rule against OT. It never helps. Uh, when people go into OT, a, we never had the money to go into it. That's overtime, by the way, Yes, we, <laughs> just in case, but we never had the money to do that, but also you just burn out your crew. And I always find it's never worth that, whatever extra shot that you get. Uh, and I also on all of my film sets, if I'm directing or producing, I love sleep. Um, yes. I'm not one of those directors <laughs> who never sleeps. I sleep very well at night. I do the best I can. I sleep. And I also know that that is the best way to serve the next morning, to serve the next day, is not to stay up all night trying to think about what went wrong. Your brain is just diminishing returns at that point, is get sleep. And almost every single time I wake up and I'm like, that's what I need to do to solve the problem. Sleep is like amazing. I just, it's well, you're right. I mean, you're scientifically right. The recovery is extremely important. And the less we sleep, the less functional we'll be mentally, physically, everything. I mean, every sign points to it. And yet there's a culture of a grind culture of just like, how hard can I go? I worked extra hard. I get the hardworking badge because I slept one hour last night. Like, it's like, well, bad things are going to happen and the results aren't going to be as good. Even if you, you know, all that stuff, it's a domino effect, right? And you're talking about changes that, I hope are coming to the industry at a larger scale soon where people are respecting sleep and not pushing into OTs often and running crews into the ground. Yeah. I think I find it actually more on the indie sets because you're also, you know, everybody, you know, everybody, everybody's kind of your friend. You don't want to see your friends in the ground. You want to see them actually flourishing. (laughs) You want to give them the opportunity to do that. But also I, I just feel like, 
we also, the lovely thing is I don't have the same pressure. I don't have a distributor or I don't have a release date. I didn't have all of that type of stuff. I did have restraints of, you know, we should, we had a certain number of days that we could shoot and that was the reality of it. But I think that one of the beauties of this is I didn't announce this film. I didn't tell anybody. In fact, Tribeca is going to be the first time. And there's been no photos released. There's been nothing. I got to work in an, uh, a tiny little bubble where I just got to think about what I wanted to do for the film without any outside pressures. And that was amazing. And I think that that speaks to kind of the natural flow of the film. And and I hope that the way that the characters kind of feel very genuine and very natural, I think that's because my team allowed me to kind of work in a way that allowed me to lead the film. Yeah. I want to hear more about uh, release and Tribeca in a second, but I wanted to ask a little bit about how you got to the place where you could make the film in that way. Kind of like, yeah. how did you create that environment? How did you get the financing? How did you re- meet the producers who you trusted? Like, those are the kinds of little, little steps that come together, but that, you know, make things happen. Well, I mean, I think, that always starts at the top down. And I, I, I got to meet Lindsay and Joel of Helm Street uh, during the pandemic randomly. I had a friend of a friend said, you know, these two people who are looking to get into producing, would you talk to them? And I was like, sure. I love talking to people. And so we met on Zoom and we just really got on and I was pitching her all the projects that I'm producing and she was listening. And then I happened to mention, you know, that I'm working on this project for my heart and my soul. And she goes, can I read that? And I was like, I'm not actually done with the script. And she goes, can I read it anyways? <laughs> and I said, sure. So I actually sent Lindsay and Joel an unfinished draft of this. And I got on another Zoom and they said, we really like this. It speaks to what we want to do. Uh, we'd like to make it. And I was like, what does that mean? Does that mean this? And they're like, well, how much is it? And I said, you know, it's about this much. And they were like, okay. And that was it. Um, (laughs) it That's pretty pretty amazing. You know, we did a deal. We did all of that type of stuff. But honestly, it was one of the fastest deals I've ever done. And I I think the reason why I call them my unicorns um, because of how easy it was. But not only that, I ended up becoming very good friends with them. Also, on a 17 person crew, they wanted to come on set. And I was like, if you come on set, you have to pull your own weight. We have no spare, like there's no extra space. So Lindsay, who had never worked on a film set before was my script supervisor. And Joel, who uh, has, had never worked on a film set before either was our second AC. So wow. Second AC you. is a, that's a jump from never before on a set. That is but now he has he has yes. camera crew skills now. That's awesome. He does. And he did an amazing job. Uh, they both did. Uh, I think Lindsay will never script supervise again. <laughs> and I feel so bad that I did that to her. But uh, the thing was, is that they believed in me. They believed that I could tell this story and they helped empower me to do so. And that does mean sometimes crowling and giving limitations and helping when there's a problem, find a solution. Uh, but they really believed in me and believed that. And because of that, I listened to them, but because there wasn't really this combative nature between us, because there was one of respect on both sides, if they brought up a concern to me, it was very genuine and very important for me to address it. And they also didn't bog me down with like, sometimes you just get people who give notes to give notes or just want to feel heard. They, they wanted to make sure that I had what I needed and including good notes. (laughs) And so we, uh, but then they also believed in kind of the structure that I had spoken about and how I wanted to lead a crew. So all the way from the money down and everybody that we hired, we kind of had that ethos from, from jump. 
And that really filters down and allows you to hire people in a certain way that then allows you to create that space. And I think because of that, because of having such a good relationship with Helm Street, and then having Derek and Nar, who I've worked with for a very long time, and Derek, who is specifically on set, who genuinely, I think, again, is another friend, but cares about me. It really, I again, I only ever felt supported and loved and cared about and like people wanted to make this vision. So it, it just felt like everybody was there for the right reasons. And the same yeah. thing goes for my actors. Also, I have to give a shout out to Daria Derman, who was our costume designer and did all of our makeup. And by the way, was the one painting the wall in her spare time. But, <laughs> you know, she's been a longtime friend and collaborator and for her to show up in this way. And also, like, I think it's very important for the actors. The last thing that they get to experience before they get on set is often uh, makeup and wardrobe. And I think it's so imperative that the last person that they that they talk to before they show up to is a calming presence, is, mm. a, is a way of kind of settling. Because sometimes that can be a space in which there's a lot of heightened craziness. And I really hate that. And I think actors hate that. And so it it was very important for me. I was so grateful that Daria agreed to do this because she always sent the actors on set. And I could tell that they were just a little bit calmer than maybe when they went to her in the first, and like when they showed up in the morning. And I was always so grateful for that. Yeah. That's a big difference maker stress-wise. I want to highlight and and just go back to that. You, you went into that, first meeting with them mm-hmm. with your w- eventual producers and it yeah. was just you talking to other producers as a producer yeah. not pitching creative stuff and yeah. you mentioned a passion project you had the bravery to mention it and you sent it to them unfinished <laughs> these yeah. are things that are really impressive and for anyone out there who's like kind of thinking about where they are like i'm curious about the bravery of being like yeah oh oh, oh yeah here's my passion project by the way oh sure read it it's not done like like where did like it came from a place of like feeling comfortable and confident that you could do that and it worked out that's kind of amazing yeah, it did. that that's the amazing part is the fact that it worked out look <laughs> there's a million different ways to do it right and anybody who tells you that there's a right way is just wrong and i i'm currently in the process right now of doing things more officially on on a project in which you have to get everything right the pitch deck has to be perfect and your verbal deck has to everything has to be perfect and it's funny because i have another one that's that's one that i'm writing that's kind of my heart and soul and when i go in the room on that one and i just speak from there that one gets such a great reaction. The other mm. one hopefully will too. We haven't taken it out yet and hopefully yeah. it, we'll get that. But I have found for myself that speaking from my heart, when it's it's also founded, I'm not just going in and saying, I have an idea. I'm going in and I'm saying, I have an idea and this is how I want to do it. And I have a very clear vision of that. And that goes everything from the creative to the practicality of how to shoot it, to the understanding of a budget and to the understanding of the restraints that I'm being given within the creative. Those things seem to be what people are really looking for is if you can really nail that. They're like, why you? Why this? Why you? Why now? You know? Yeah. And I think you need to have a really good answer to that because there's, there, there are a lot of films out there and look, it's, it's easy to get caught up in the excitement. I've even gotten set scripts where it's exciting because you're like, Oh, this is really fun. and, And maybe I can do this. And I, I, I back away from most of those because unless there's a real personal connection for me and a real reason why I feel like I should tell the story, I, I just feel like there's somebody else that's better. And I think sometimes also the power of saying no allows somebody else, the right person to say yes. I think when I was younger, I was always worried if I didn't grab every single opportunity, it would all go away. And I don't feel that anymore. And I also feel like 
going into this, I did not go in being like, I'm the best director ever. (laughs) I went in um, being like, I might fail horribly at this. But the only way I'm ever going to know, because at a certain point with directing, the only way you're ever going to know is if you do it. And I just gave myself permission because I feel like I see so many directors around me who are so worried about getting it perfect. And I was like, I'm just not going to try. I'm just going to be genuine. I'm going to be in the moment and I'm going to be present and and I'm going to do the best that I can to tell the story that's in my head. And I will fail sometimes. And I definitely did. And I learned a lot of lessons, but I think that fear can be crippling and can actually keep you from ever even starting. And I think uh, it also doesn't allow you to, when you're making decisions from that place, you're making it from a chaotic adrenalized space. Mm. You're not actually making the best choice that, is kind of innate to you and kind of what you really want. And I, I just found that being able to settle and I might be a total failure allowed me to kind of actually find more successful moments. So you just kind of calmly, it sounds, you sound so calm when you talk about it, but just you kind of calmly embrace and accept that doubt and fear exist and you might fail and you're going to do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, and looking back on this one on next exit, and looking forward, because you have a couple things going on, you know, are you, how do you, you reconcile that it's just like, yep, it's out in the world now. It, you know, it's doing Tribeca. It's going to cool. be released. By the way, where is it going to be or when? Do you know yet? Um, well, it premieres at Tribeca the 10th next week uh, at 6.15. And then there's two, that one's actually sold out. There's two other screenings. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a rush line and people will get in. Uh, and XYZ is selling the film. So I do not know what will happen next. So it is, I am just praying that it finds its home. I, I want this film to be out there. I made it with the intention of, it gave me hope and I want it to give others hope. And I just, I hope it finds its home, but I don't know where it's going to go yet. And that's terrifying right. for my No, little, it, it, my it's kind of cool. To, it's so cool to talk to somebody who's in that place where you're like, yeah, I mean, you have the sales team, right? And so, and you have Tribeca and you'll see what happens mm-hmm. and you're, but you're already onto the next things. And it seems like you're very like openly, emotionally experiencing all the things that come with all of that. The excitement, mm-hmm. the fear, the doubt. <laughs> this part's the scariest part. Honestly, making films I love. I, I, I am never happier than when I'm on set and directing. I found I was like the calmest and happiest I'd ever been in my life. Watching the assembly the first time, terrifying were you like what if this is bad (laughs) yeah because you do you're like well i i did make a the executive decision very early on i brought my editor brett bachman on the road which was crazy when you have a team that small everybody's like why do you bring your editor and it was because we were literally driving from kansas city through oklahoma texas new mexico arizona california and i knew that i'd only be in some of these places for a day or two Mm. And so he was actually editing almost in real time. So I would always wake up the next morning and I would have something to look at. And there was at least three occasions where he was like, you don't get this reverse. We don't have this scene. And I'm like, I, I captain. And I would go back and I would make sure that we got something so we could get that all together. So he was with me the entire time. So I'll never forget. He kind of cut together like five minutes of the film when we got, cause we shot an order too. And I remember sitting down and he, he tried to for three days to get me to sit down and I, I couldn't watch it. I was like, Oh yeah. no, what if it's not what was in my head? What if it's not what was in my head? And I sat down and I was like, Oh my God, it's a movie. 
like it, it was a real movie. It was working. And I, I relaxed after that point. I was so grateful that I had that, but then I had that again for the assembly and I will most definitely, I, I am terrified of Tribeca next week because almost nobody has seen this movie. Like not even right. all the filmmakers have seen this movie. We have kept it completely under lock and key. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of the actors first time. It's going to be a lot of our crew and then, and then everybody else. And that will decide it's home. And so I'm, I'm pretty much terrified. I just, I, I love this film so much and I love this team so much. I just, I hope it has a chance. Yeah. Well, you guys came from the right place and did it all in with a really beautiful spirit. It sounds like, but I, I love that story about having the editor with you to basically protect your cut, you know, yeah. and your ability to get coverage and your own having the humility to say, yeah, oh, okay, I need to go get that. Especially without having directed a ton, a really smart idea to make sure that you have what you need if you can if you can swing it, which you could. Did he also have to hold a boom or something? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he was our DIT. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, <laughs> that, that makes sense. <laughs> Producer to second AC is, um, a, tr- is yeah. a tougher transition. He actually was an actor in the film as well. You will get to see him appear because, again, we were potted. So almost everybody that you see that's not our main actors when you're on the road was one of our crew. Uh, Daria Derman shows up. Brett Bachman shows up. Uh, Zeno, our art director, shows up. Uh, Sally, our production designer, shows up. I mean, it sounds kind of fun. (laughs) Middle of COVID, road trip, you know, make a movie. But, you know. Like it, my, it sounds oh, like it was an interesting way to experience the country too. Yeah. My producer was my ghost, by the way, and he had to wear quite the outfit and he kept, <laughs> he kept being like, really, is this what I have to do? And I'm like, yes. And, uh, I have some amazing videos of him. Uh, and, and we replaced the ghost. The ghost is not just him in a suit, uh, but it did bring me so much joy in the middle of his incredibly difficult days to make him be like, can you get the ghost suit out <laughs> Stand in the background? <laughs> That's great. Uh, That was so much fun. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And we will be watching with a lot of enthusiasm and curiosity about what happens and, and of course, what you do next. So congratulations and good luck. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Molly, for coming on the podcast. I'm a big believer that you can make good movies and not be miserable doing it, or you can make good anything and not be miserable doing it. I think it's something worth pursuing. I think her story about how she did Next Exit is is a really good example of some of what it takes to make that happen. So you just have to be forward thinking. You have to make it a priority. And you have to realize that sometimes you're not going to get exactly what you want but sometimes limitations are where true creative genius is born. Head over to nofilmschool.com, read about all this kind of stuff and more education, tech, and news. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. Shoot us an email with a question at editor at nofilmschool.com, and we'll try to answer to the best of our ability. Thank you so much for listening. Mm